0: You are listening to the Coggin Avenue Baptist Church podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. Death to life is what we've been talking about all day. We've celebrated it in song. We've Talk to the Lord about it in prayer. We've seen it illustrated in a pretty awesome bumper video there. And now the most powerful examples in his word. Ephesians chapter 2, if you brought your Bibles with you, I pray you, you do bring them every week, Easter Sunday and every other Sunday. This is where the power is. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be looking at the first 10 verses here. I realized this week that if you're going to truly appreciate life, you have to understand death. And sometimes it's not till we're staring death in the face, maybe ourselves or the loss of a family member, that we we truly appreciate the life that we have and the life that others have given us. I remember going to my grandfather's hospital room when he was coming out of cancer surgery, his lung cancer, and they were trying to remove one of his lungs and it was a sketchy surgeon. He just didn't make it. And I walked into his room and looked at his lifeless body and, and, and in a moment his earthly influence, like face to face, it was it was changed. But I started thinking about that, and I was like, Well, it was changed, but it still remained. And and what was interesting is that like those years after his death, his life was more vivid for me to appreciate. Once he was gone, I realized how important he was to me and his grace and his patience and his mercy and his faith in Christ became more real to me when he was gone. See, I I appreciated his life when I had a taste of death. And and sometimes it's a a spouse that becomes important to us or more important to us when they're gone. And I I hear widows and widowers talk like this a lot. If I'd just thought more about how much I would miss them, I would have told them I loved them more, spent more time with them. See, it's, it's, it's understanding death and the impact of death gives you new appreciation for life. This is just true. And we're doing the same thing with the gospel today. And that's why on Friday we thought so deeply about the death of Christ and what was paid on our behalf. That, that can inform our understanding of the resurrection life in him. That gives power and meaning to, and informs the resurrection. He rose from the dead. Sometimes that statement, and we may just say, yeah, he's risen indeed. And we don't really let the depths of that reality impact us. It should blow our minds every time that we who believe have that resurrected life with Christ and we will live in him and with him forever. That's a big deal. So that's what we did on the cross and today in the resurrection, but I want to take it a little bit deeper of a direction. I, I want us to appreciate the new resurrection life that we have in Christ by following the path that Paul falls here in Ephesians 2 by first understanding death. Let me just kind of read for you how it works out for him. Would you stand with me? We'll read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'll read it. You can follow along. 2, 1 is, is powerful, so don't miss it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's bad news. Look at verse four but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even while we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. Amen. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us In Christ Jesus, for by grace, we have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Sometimes we want to stop at verse nine, but I don't think we can look at verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, meaning before the beginning of time so that we would walk in them. This is God's word, please be seated. Such a powerful message, such a great passage of scripture. If I were to try to sum it up in one statement, so what I want want you to walk away with it would be this, that we are all dead in our sins, but by God's grace we've been saved from death to everlasting life by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what? So we would live for him, or more aptly put, so he would live through us. Let's take this journey together. Look at the first three verses. To appreciate the life we have in Christ, we need to understand that apart from Christ, you and I are dead in sin. Dead means dead. Not able to respond. And apart from a work from God, you cannot respond. No ability, no nothing, dead but I love how Paul puts it in the past tense because he's talking to believers. He says, you were dead. The whole letter of Ephesians is written to a believing church. See, you you as believers need to understand that before Christ you were dead, but God didn't leave you there. He brought you to life in Christ. So he's helping the followers of Christ reflect upon what we gather today to reflect upon. To reflect upon and truly appreciate the life that we have in Christ by understanding the position that we would be in without him. And that is a... Dead position. So as a believer, it informs how we live. It informs how we do everything. It allows us to celebrate the most important day in human history, Resurrection Sunday. But the truth is, there's many around our nation and probably some gathered here today that are not believers. And there's probably a number of reasons why you came on an Easter Sunday. All of them are fine with me. I'm glad that you're here. Maybe you just thought, you know, it's Easter. I'm supposed to be in church. That's because that's what grandma did. So let me go to Easter. That's good. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you had a friend that invites you. They've been praying for you. They told you week after week, day after day, and finally you came. Maybe some of you came with a a parent or a grandparent uh, kicking and crying and screaming. Not like a child, but like, no, I don't want to go, but you're here. This passage is also perfect for you today. For the believer, it informs the joy that we should have in life. And for the unbeliever, it shows you the hopelessness of death that you are in right now. It's describing for you, Paul, in such eloquence, the position that you are on your own, dead in your transgressions and sins. Either you are or you were dead in sin, that's it. And again, Paul means dead. You're not able to be sprung. A, A dead person doesn't feel conviction. A dead person is unconscious. You say, well, I get all this dead and sin talk, but how can I be dead and I still walking around breathing? If you're not a follower of Christ today, I think that's, you know, that's a good question. You might ask me, well, pastor, if I'm, if I'm so dead, how come my intellect is working and I'm sharing it with the rest of the world on a daily basis? Good question. Here's the answer to that question. Paul's talking about spiritual death. Something much more important such something much more lasting than just being alive. You, you can be alive on the outside and be dying and dead on the inside. If you're dead spiritually, you're more like a walking zombie than anything else. You may be able to fool the people around you and consume oxygen and your heart is beating, but if you're honest with yourself and you're not a follower of Christ today, I think I'm just telling you something that you already know. You're dead on the inside. And it's robbing you of joy. And it leaves you with no hope. It's a terrible and desperate position to be in, a walking zombie that doesn't care about the things of God because you don't know God. You don't celebrate the goodness of God because you don't understand it. You don't know who he is and what he wants you to do doesn't affect you because you're dead. Like a lifeless corpse, you have no hope to ever know God apart from a work of God. Can I say that again? You have no hope to ever know God apart from a magnificent work of God of God in your life. That's the point of what Paul's saying. You can't know him on your own. I could jump up here and I could scream and sometimes I get loud and I'm sorry. I I could flip this pulpit over. I could build seven crosses and it would fall on dead ears because you're dead and if God doesn't work, there's nothing to be done. It doesn't matter how good the sermon is that I preach. No matter how passionate that I am. You're dead. You're unresponsive. You're like, wow, that's not good news. I know. That's a terrible problem. You're like, what can we do, pastor? You can pray. You can pray for your lost brother or sister that's in here today. Maybe even right now say a prayer of the Lord. Lord, soften their heart. That's what I've been doing for you all week. If you're not a follower of Christ, that God would tear down and break down your pride and soften your heart and bring awareness to your soul that sin has killed you forever. An awareness to your soul that you need forgiveness and God would bring conviction and God would bring repentance because if he doesn't, it's just empty church attendance. It means nothing. It'll change nothing when you die. You'll still stand before God in judgment and he'll say, away from me, I never knew you. I've been pleading with God to do a great work in your soul today and I would, I wonder, is he doing it right now? If so, please listen. We're all born this way, by the way, dead in our sin because we're born with sin. So that means when you're born, you're born dead. Isn't that crazy? That though you're living and breathing, you're dying. You're already dead. You're already eternally separated from God. That's original sin, that's a terrible thing. But he says, not only are you born with it, he says, you also walk in this way, which means each of us on our own are accountable, not only because the generations of sin passed down to us, but for our own mistakes. You choose on your own, don't you know this, that you walk in the way that the Lord doesn't want you to walk and you do the things the Lord doesn't want you to do. You know that you live in sin on your own. I love John Stott. He says so many great things and he says this, In a reflection on Ephesians 2, he says, We should not hesitate to reaffirm that a life without God, meaning God in Christ, however physically fit and mentally alert the person may be, is a living death. And that those who live it are dead even while they are living. Walking zombies. The walking dead. I know these are hard words from Stott because they're hard words from Paul. And if you need more evidence to know that you're dead spiritually, look for these three things, Paul says. You're controlled by three things that a believer will never be controlled by because they're controlled only by God and his spirit. The spiritually dead person, if you're here today, you're controlled, he says, by the world. You're controlled therefore by the enemy, the devil, and you're controlled by the lust of the flesh. The word world here in this passage is the Greek word "cosmos," and it's used 189 times in the New Testament, and every time it's associated with some kind of evil. What Paul is saying here is that you're, if you're spiritually dead, you're controlled by the morality of the current evil age. There's always been evil ages. Evil in each age looks a little different. But there's still evil in our age today and that evil as it's always done is pulling you away from God and telling you to worship self. And here's what it looks like today. It's called relativism. Now, that's a big word for a Sunday. It's not that complicated. It just means that morality is relative to the individual. That, that what, what you define as truth is what truth is for you, and nobody can speak against it. So truth is relative to the individual, which is why so many in our society today are are fighting for their own individual identity apart from what their creator created them to be and told them they are. It means that there's no absolute truth. This is a huge problem. Those who follow the ways of the world are enslaved to worldly trends. They're enslaved to pop culture and the media and what the world says that you should be doing. But some of these in our society today that are spiritually dead and controlled by the world, they still want to feel spiritual. That's why there's still lots of these people coming to church. And so they go to church on Sunday and they create for themselves what I call a man-centered religious nonsense. (laughs) It's not true faith in Christ. It's just coming to spiritual things and talking about spiritual things to make themselves feel better, but they're still controlled by the world and truth is still relative to them instead of letting their creator speak truth over them. And it's always been like this. In every era of human history, evil has driven us away from God. This shouldn't surprise us because the Bible tells us that the devil is the God of this world, that he is the prince, as the Bible puts it here, of this time that we're in now. And as the devil, he's going to use evil to push you away from God. It's not a new problem, but yet it's a problem that we face and a problem that we're enslaved to as those who are spiritually dead. Which means not only are you controlled by the world, but because the enemy controls the world, you're controlled by him as well. You're controlled by the devil. Number two, what is the devil? Who is the devil? Who is the Satan that we see in Scripture? He's the deceiver. He's the liar and what he's doing to you today is what he's been doing for thousands of years just like he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's lying to you and the things that he is telling you will make you happy and bring satisfaction to your hunger. They're lies. They will never make you happy and they'll never bring you satisfaction. They're only gonna bring you shame, emptiness and separation from God for eternity. And the sooner you figure out the devil's lies, the better you will be. True, the spiritually dead, they're controlled by the world. And because they're controlled by the world, they're controlled by the prince of this world, the devil. And finally, those who are spiritually dead are controlled by their own flesh. They're guided only by their own animalistic passions, by what I want. Ultimately, the spiritually dead person will become selfish. And the older they get, they'll only do things that they can get something out of. They end up using people. They end up hurting people and ultimately they live a life of narcissistic emptiness. This is not good news. This is not a furtherance of our evolutionary cycle. This is dangerous because Paul says, look at verse three, those who are controlled by the world, those who are controlled by the devil and those who are controlled by the flesh are by their nature, children of wrath. That's scary. The wrath of God, isn't it? It should be it's the wrath of God that we thought deeply about on Friday that was poured out on Christ so it wouldn't be poured out on you for eternity if it's not poured out on Christ through your faith in him it would be poured out on you for all time but we usually just like to keep wrath in eternity so we can keep it separate from us no if you're spiritually dead here this morning the wrath of God is not only going to be on you for eternity it's on you right now like, what does it look like to have the wrath of God on me as a spiritually dead person? It looks like this, God turning you over to the lust of your flesh. You want it, you chase it, you desire it, so you do it. God says, if that's the way you want it, and you think that it'll bring you happiness, then do it. Because he knows it'll never bring you happiness. He knows that it's going to eat away at your soul, and he's hoping that you'll turn to him in salvation through a work of his spirit. God's judgment rests on those who are spiritually dead today and forever. Satan loves it, doesn't he? He loves to see you hurting, but he loves it even more because when you're spiritually dead and you're serving yourself, it not only hurts you, but it hurts those around you. Truly, church, I can say this morning that apart from Christ, we are totally depraved. And that's a theological term we're scared of because we think it means that every person will always be as worse as bad as they could be, it doesn't mean that. It means that you were completely lost and without hope in your sin on your own. Dead is what it means. I remember walking by the casket of my grandmother, if you haven't picked up on it yet, my grandma and grandpa were huge influences in my life. That's why it broke my heart when my grandma died. I missed her love and her influence and her guidance and I hadn't been married for very long, but I walked by the casket at her funeral And there's some things I desperately wanted from her that I couldn't get anymore. I wanted to hear her laugh again. I was even willing to hear her chastisement again. I just wanted to feel the warmth of her hands. So that's what I did. I walked by the casket and I looked at her sweet face. The funeral home did a great job of picturing who she was. Then I grabbed her hand and tears dripped from my eyes onto her hand. And here's what I wanted to happen. I wanted her to squeeze me back one more time. I wanted to feel the warmth of her embrace one more time. I wanted my tears to fall on her skin and her to respond back to me, but they just fell and fell on a lifeless hand. And as I squeezed it, there was no warmth. Have you ever held a dead person's hand? There's no warmth. It's empty. Why? Because she's dead. She's in heaven today, praise God. But that's the position you were in apart from Christ. Dead. Dead. And the great work of God that he wants to do in your soul today, he wants to make you alive with Christ. See, if you're dead today, he doesn't want you to stay there. That's how much God loves you. If you're a believer here today, he didn't leave you there. Now the good news. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when you were dead and hopeless and helpless in your transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Point 2. By grace and through faith, you've been made alive in Christ. I love this passage of scripture. After mining the depths of what it means to be dead in sin, you're probably feeling pretty lousy this morning. Yeah, me too. It's not fun to sit in that, but you needed to sit in that so you could see the glory of what Paul's about to talk about. The life that you've been given in Christ. And what Paul does above everything else in these verses, all the way through verse 9, verse 9, is he tries to show you that every bit of your salvation is a work of God. He removes even the slightest piece of partial credit that you could take and participate in your own salvation. It's his love, his grace, and his mercy for you that saved you. It's like we sang in that song earlier, God's love is not in question. This is how much he loves you. Remember, you were dead, able to do nothing, but God, he says, rich in mercy and motivated by his own love, came to you when you could not come to him. That's awesome. As a believer, you need to be thankful for that, that he found you when you were hopeless. And he came to you when? In Christ? When that God man was born to that virgin 2,000 years ago, that's when he came to you. After 400 years of silence, he spoke through the cry of a baby and Jesus is different than you, though he's like you as a human because he was born alive. You and I are born dead with original sin, but Jesus Christ did not have original sin. So he was born alive and he remained alive so that he could die so that you could live. He lived perfect. He fulfilled the law. Where we are controlled by the world, though he lived in the world, the world did not control him. That's awesome. Though we are enslaved and controlled by the devil, though he was tempted by the devil himself, he didn't give in. Though we are controlled by the lust of the flesh apart from Christ, he was tempted in the same way that we are, yet he was without sin, which is why he could march up to Calvary as the sinless son of God and bear God's wrath on your behalf. Though you were the child of wrath, he became God's wrath for you. Truly, as a believer, you've been made alive with Christ and this is good news. Him dying so that sin could be defeated him dying so that death could be defeated. And that moment you confessed, repented, and believed, God could make you alive with Jesus Christ. Just as he came back from the dead after three days of being in the tomb, you have been made alive with him and you will reign with him forever. If that doesn't get you excited the thing, I don't know what will. Which is why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are so important because they help you understand how it happened. That this is a work of God only, not you. He says by grace, which means unearned, unmerited you didn't deserve it favor you have been saved through faith this is not of yourselves to clarify this is a gift and a work of God it's not as a result of your works otherwise you could boast but it's not a result of works, so no one can boast you did not do this you cannot earn this as a believer when you die and you stand before God in judgment you will not be standing on your own merit that's not possible you have none on your own you'll be standing on the merit of Christ who died in your place and rose from the dead. Oh, but if you're not a believer here today, you probably know that by now. If you're not a believer here today, you probably realize it because you don't care about the things of God. And the reason you don't, because you don't know God. If you're spiritually dead today, you know that because the world is controlling you. And you know if the world's controlling you, you know you're spiritually dead because you're controlled by the devil, although you don't want to admit it, and you're controlled by your animalistic flesh. What you need today is to let go of your pride and plead with God for forgiveness. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, and if that's your decision today, praise God for it. Wouldn't you let God bring you from death to life? on an Easter morning. That's the what, and I thought about stopping at the what of this passage. We could see the death so we could appreciate the new life we have in Christ. But the text didn't let me stop. From death to life flows right into what? Good works. This is my third point. In Christ, you are God's workmanship. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? What? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There should be no disconnect between the grace of the cross and the resurrection and good works that we live out for his glory. There should be no disconnect. Paul flows right in from one to the other. But there is a major disconnect in our society. God created us to bring him glory through the good works that show his goodness to others. But so many today wanna to claim Christ and still live a life of unrepentant sin. This cannot be. Well, this is gonna get a little toe stepping and I'm sorry, but I just wanna help you and the church of Christ today. So hear what I say in love. To say that you understand God's grace and that you're a Christian yet to live an open and unrepentant sin feeling no remorse sleeping with your friends and not feeling bad about it, cheating on your spouse, looking at pornography with not that gut-wrenching horridness about what you do, cheating, lying, stealing. We could go on and on, right? But, But to say that you're a Christian, you understand grace and live in this unrepentant, unsorrowful sin your whole life, somebody's lying. Somebody's lying. It's either God or you. God's lying about this text or you're lying about your salvation. You can lie to yourself that you're saved, you can fool your friends and family members. Or maybe you're saved today and you're lying to yourself about your understanding of grace. I sin. Okay, don't don't think I'm casting judgment on you because you sin. But when I do, it's disgusting. It breaks my heart. Oh, wretched man that I am is how I feel when I sin. It's impossible to live in unrepentant, unconfessed sin and call yourself a grace understander or a Christ follower. Your good works matter because they show the world that you understand the grace of the cross and it shows the world that you understand the power of the resurrection and it honors the God that saved you. We cannot separate good works from a life of understanding grace and faith. The word workmanship in this passage is fantastic. It's the Greek word where we get the word poem. But it's not just a poem. It's anything that an artisan creates that he would consider a work of art, a masterpiece. So here's what it means. In Christ, you are God's works of art. In Christ, you are God's masterpieces. Now, does God have to chip away at your rigid exterior sometimes like an artist on a stone? Yes, but he's doing it because he loves you. Is it painful? Yes, but he does it because he loves you so that he can continue to craft you into the masterpiece of a a man or a woman that he created you to be. Michelangelo was once asked, what are you doing? As he chipped away at a shapeless rock, he replied, listen, I am liberating an angel from this lifeless stone. God is your masterful creator and he is liberating you from a life of sin so that you can be made into his masterpiece for his glory. You are his sculpture. You are his painting. You are his poem. And as God's masterpiece poems, your life is supposed to be waxing eloquent, pointing the world to his goodness and his glory. That's what your life is supposed to say as the poem written by God question what does the canvas of your life tell people about the God that you worship if you're if you're a believer here today what is your canvas of good work saying does your humility point other people to the fact that you worship Christ as he was humble you are or does your pride make other people believe that you might be worshiping yourself these are just questions to consider because your good works matter. God created them for the beginning of time for you to live in them. It shows your appreciation of the cross and your understanding of the resurrection. So let me encourage you today believer, work for God from a position of grace, not for a position of grace. I pray that this text has given you a better understanding of the journey that God has brought you on from death to life and you would go out today as a believer and live in him. But as an unbeliever, one more time, I'd like to extend a plea. If you know that Jesus is not your Savior, would you let him do the work that he was sent here to do in your soul? Would you let Jesus bring you from death to life this morning? Let's consider that together. Would you bow with me? Lord, we love Resurrection Sunday. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do only what you can do in this worship gathering that you would work in the heart. God, would you find that lifeless soul that is laying there spiritually, motionless, unable to even move towards you? Would you awaken them? Would you breathe conviction into them? And Holy Spirit, would you bring repentance out of them? Let that one in here today pray for forgiveness of sin be brought from death to life to ever to live for your glory. God, would you do that? Would you do it right now? Church, if he's doing that and you just listen, and God for us as believers, would you let this really impact us? That we would fight against the world's control because we're controlled by you. Like Christ, we would resist the devil because we live for you. Like Christ, would you deliver us from the lust of the flesh? God, because we wanna honor you. Would you let the masterpiece of the poem that you created us to be speak your beauty to the world around us? Oh God, that's what I pray for our church family. But only you can do it, so we ask you to do it. It's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen. Would you stand with me? We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org.